Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today I'm so happy to welcome my dear, dear friend, Sarah Hewitt Roth. Welcome, Sarah. Yay. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah was our amazing cellist on the entire run of Anastasia on Broadway. She's been a professional cellist for many, many, many years. Well, I shouldn't put too many in there. <laughs> Yeah, many, many years. But for many years. (laughs) She's a total pro. She sat right in front of me in the pit. And our little corner was just, she brightened up the whole corner of the pit. Well, Caleb did. He brightened it all. (laughs) It was a group effort. But it was such a great group. I mean, the whole group was great. But especially that little corner. I love it. Everyone so much. I miss it. Yeah. And aside from being a beautiful person, a beautiful player. Just so talented. And so we thought we would definitely want you on for one of the episodes with (laughs) Lily, the cellist. So Sarah, where are you joining us from today? I am joining you from my home in Maplewood, New Jersey, which is just outside of New York City. And tell us a little bit about Team Roth and Team Hewitt. (laughs) Okay, well, Team Hewitt. So my, I grew up with a mother and a father and I had have an older brother and a younger brother my younger brother is also in the music business in fact Caleb do you know him he also plays I know of um, him but I don't think I've ever met him yeah so he plays bass and on Broadway and in different places and then I also have a half sister that we didn't know about until I was about 13. Oh, wow. So that was kind of a little weird drama in the household. But anyways, that's my family that I grew up with. And the family I have now is I have a husband who's also a professional musician. And I have a 18-year-old son who's going off to college this year for the first time. And I have a 15-year-old daughter oh. who's going to be a junior in high school. Lovely. So. And I don't think I've ever met your husband, although I have heard him play when we went to see a dress rehearsal of the Magic Flute that he was playing. Wasn't he playing that? I'm trying to remember, maybe, which (laughs) he plays, he's he's known your He plays the ballet. Yeah. Yeah. So right. Right. I'm wrong. But we saw it in the. Oh, right. No, no. He did do that because okay, yes. he's part of the mostly Mozart um, orchestra as well and at Lincoln Center. And so he does. So they were doing um, that production with the mostly Mozart group. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Right. So yes. I've heard him play, yes. but I don't think I've met him. But I have met your kids when they came to see Anastasia. Oh, yeah. And they are just wonderful wonderful people they I, I could you could see them in the house cheering sarah Aww. on God, they so are so sweet. proud of their mom ah. they are so sweet i love that oh, that's so fun. and your son yeah. is studying music as well right he is he's gonna be a violin major at oberlin next year so or this year i should say wow yeah wow. it's the whole so, family so, that's so cool it's the whole family i know yeah Well, our last introductory question is, what is your history with the show Parenthood? Well, my history is that I had never watched it until Caleb sort of turned me on to it. This, you know, I I just started watching it and I've gotten hooked. And now that I've been listening (laughs) to your podcast, (laughs) I'm even more hooked. You guys are so great. Um, So, yeah. So I'm very, I'm like a novice. I've just started. So I'm still in the first season, but it's going quickly because I'm pretty much watching it every night (laughs) good it'll get you but so we have kind of flashed you forward a bit into this random season three episode (laughs) right okay good to know 
<laughs> well, we're so I'm so happy that you're here. I, know I am too. I yeah. already Aww. think you're great. <laughs> Aww, you guys. <laughs> well, today we are discussing Parenthood season three, episode 14. It is what it is. It was written by Eric Guggenheim, directed by Michael Weaver. It originally aired on January 17th, 2012. I could find no synopsis from NBC. So here is the DVD synopsis. Tough decisions lie ahead as Zeke gets some unexpected medical news. Hattie is accepted to Cornell and Sarah speaks to Drew about his college plans. No mention of Zoe and Julia. No mention of Crosby and Lily. I feel like this episode was so stuffed. It was. No mention of Amber and Bob. I just felt like there was a million things going on in one episode. Yeah. I noticed that with my notes. I had just so many different categories, way more than I usually do. Yeah. 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 But since we have a professional cellist with us, let's start (laughs) with the cellist. (laughs) And let's start with this this downright virtuosic and totally believable jam session. Blues. Yeah, you can play the hell out of that thing. Yeah, well, that was I cool. Can. You just made that thing kind of cool. I thought those things only played nerve music. I'm yeah. so wrong. <laughs> I want to see you play this live. Like when you, you don't call it shows, do you? A uh, performance. I want to see a performance. Yes, I do actually. This uh, this Sunday night. Really. Uh, in Golden Gate Park, I'm part of a quartet. I would I would love to come, but I have my son that day on Sunday. Okay, well, you, I mean, you can bring him because I can get more tickets. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he'll like it. Mm, I think maybe. classical music. <laughs> I, I want to play this thing. I think I can play this. Maybe even better than you is my guess. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's just a big guitar, right? I w- oh, nice. <laughs> That's all it is, right? Wait, where are the frets? What happened to the? Uh-huh. Where did those go? <laughs> okay, so don't. Pretty good, right? You could, I could call in sick and you could take my place. Really? On Sunday, yeah. You're that, that talented. <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching this, I was thinking about how, like, when there's like, if there's like a courtroom drama TV show or something, and they're in the, the courtroom, I wonder what lawyers think mm. about it. Like, how realistic is that? Or in those operating room scenes with doctors, you know, because. I don't get to see cello players that often on a TV show. And it's just hilarious to me because it's so unrealistic. You know, all of it. If you, if you had to grade the authenticity of her playing, quote unquote, of her faking, what grade would you give it? Oh, gosh. Well, so that's unfair, probably, because I'm, you know, I'm sure if I was a person who didn't know the cello, it probably would look totally fine. It did to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, so for like a courtroom drama, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Of course, that's what would normally happen. But like as a cellist, I would say maybe a D. (laughs) She was at least using the right, you know, she was using the the right right hand. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm so fascinated. Like what was off? Um, Yeah. Like what was unbelievable about it? Well, like, you know, she was kind of going like this. Well, you can't see her radio, but her (laughs) fingers weren't on the right strings. And the notes that she was playing, her fingers weren't 
putting down in the right place. And, you know, later on in the quartet thing, you know, you can hear the cello playing and she's not playing and she's just like winking at the kid, you know, <laughs> and but like meanwhile, the cello is going on in the soundtrack, but, you know, the bow is not moving, you know, stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, I did catch that one and I, I, I wasn't positive, but it's like, I'm, I think I'm hearing the cello right now and she's just sitting, I mean, you know, she, she's, she's quote unquote playing when her solo within uh, the quartet right. is happening and then yeah. once everyone's kind of back together she's just yeah. sitting there as if the cello and is winking at the there. kid yeah <laughs> but then and then once i actually looked up the piece and saw the score like the cello in the piece is doing these arpeggios like cross string <laughs> stuff like oh she's playing a lot there can i just say also a funny thing is like you know if you're a cellist who if you're a professional cellist who's playing, it's good enough to be playing the WC string quartet in a big venue with a professional string quartet. If some guy like takes your cello and goes, oh, bunk, 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 I could play this better than you. You know, that's like, you know, usually the woman, she's gone to conservatory. She's like been trained. Her instrument is like very valuable to her. You know what I mean? It just it seems like a sort of most women would probably not if they were a professional just love that kind of flirting <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point although he's very cute and you know he's very charming but it just was funny to me it was so funny you're like don't cross that line that's 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 a line too far like yeah, <laughs> yeah. good point have you ever had anyone think that the cello was just a big guitar nerd music <laughs> or nerd music yeah <laughs> oh that too oh my god <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, well, you know, on the street, on the subways, you know, people would like often comment like, oh, nice guitar. You know, like people do that kind of thing. But oh, yeah, no, well. it's funny. But it was entertaining. I mean, I totally was into it. I was like loving it. So. Oh, good. That's but. nice. <laughs> anyway. I do like that this shows that, you know, in the previous episode, that was Lily's first episode. And the piece she was recording was Julio by Mark Summer. It's a sort of modern, a little bit like classical and pop hybrid. Mm -hmm. And I liked that now in this episode, we saw her playing some more traditional classical repertoire. Mm -hmm. And then showing that she is like a hip current person of her time. You know, she's a young woman. Mm -hmm. Even I have these like assumptions about classical musicians that, yeah. oh, they're so straight laced and they're so stiff. Like at NYU, uh -huh. I worked in the voice department and we had music theater majors and classical majors. And I just <laughs> assumed, well, the music theater kids are like really fun and, uh -huh. <laughs> and cool. And the classical kids are like humorless. And the, even though it's like, no, they're... 20 years old <laughs> they're just kids oh, and they no. they happen to be interested in this kind of singing instead yeah yeah, yeah. so i i appreciate that lily because if she were a professional cellist especially like in the bay area yeah she would be uh -huh. playing hip contemporary pieces and yeah right. she would have been to a conservatory right. and would know that right. rep like the back yeah. of her hand yeah and... that's true i also did you know that it was the wc string quartet right away well, I think they said it or something earlier. So I was expecting it to be that. So it's just so funny. I missed it because Jasmine does say it earlier yeah. in the episode. Mm -hmm. But this is interesting. She says, oh, the WC series. Yeah. When I watched the episode the first time, I was watching it with subtitles, as I usually do. 
And on Hulu, mm-hmm. the subtitle said, oh, the WC series. Mm. <laughs> and That's I think actually just, what I thought it was, because I've never heard of this. And I was watching it on Hulu with subtitles. Yeah, what is it actually? Debussy, Claude Debussy. Oh, Debussy. French composer. And I think because I was looking at it, then when she said it, that's what it sounded like. And it didn't even occur to me <laughs> that she had said oh, WC. So and so then I was trying to figure out what is that string quartet? And I was Googling <laughs> it. I couldn't find it anywhere online. And so eventually I thought, you know, I'm a professional musician. Let's use some of my deductive skills and figure out what this is. And I thought, what does it sound like? And I thought, well, it sounds French, just the harmonies uh-huh. and things. And it sounds maybe late romantic, maybe early Mm -hmm. 20th century. Mm -hmm. And so I first started Googling Ravel. It's like, maybe Uh it's a Ravel string quartet. And I discovered, oh, he only wrote one. I listened to it. That wasn't it. But then as I was looking up- You did your research, I did. And then as I was looking up the Ravel, it said that his quartet was inspired by Debussy's. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll look that one up. He only wrote one too. And then I'm listening to that and I go, oh, that's it. Boom. On the second try, I got it. And then when I watched the episode again, I'm like, oh, damn it. She said it. <laughs> I should have known. I didn't have to go to all this trouble. It's ridiculous. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. I love wow. that. Well, oh, my gosh. You know, this character wasn't in this episode, but the show has an English teacher on it, mm-hmm. Mark Sear. I don't know if you've met him yet in season one, mm-hmm. but I love mm-hmm. him. He's one of my favorite characters. And I really appreciate him being on there because I feel like teachers are often portrayed in ways that are not super flattering, like either out of touch with students or maybe too in touch with students in in a creepy way (laughs) or or something, or I don't know. And the way that he's portrayed, he's like funny and he's got a really good rapport with the kids and he really cares about them and he's like decent and has integrity. And I love that portrayal. And so Mm -hmm. anyway, I I wouldn't have even made that connection, but I just thought of that because I, even Mm -hmm. though Lily you know, has just shown up. She is so funny and yeah, like really like keeps up with Crosby, which I don't even know if we've really seen uh, like a a romantic partner for Crosby do that yet. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously I love Jasmine and she keeps up with him in a different way, but like with the banter and the the comedy, I feel Mm -hmm. like, and Mm -hmm. she's great. So yeah, I wondered um, her playing aside, <laughs> what did you think of yeah, her yeah, yeah. as a character, like as a representative? Oh, I like her yeah. a lot. No, I do like her a lot. I definitely like her a lot. And I love that the show chose cello, of course. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, no, I do like her. And I also love, especially right, you know, at the quartet concert when she sees Jabbar and she tells him for things to listen to. I, I find that when I do educational things with kids, it's especially young kids, it's always really helpful have specific things to tell them to listen for because as you were saying before classical music can seem very daunting but you know once you know it well then it's incredible but sometimes you need to give kids a little hook and so that was kind of cool the way she dealt with him in that way that was very teacherly to me it seems so (laughs) no I liked her she was good that's cool yeah I liked that moment too I I thought Jabbar's enthusiasm was Maybe a little too much, but I just awesome. love him. I'm like, it just makes him even better. And I, and you know, and there yeah. are some kids, and I do believe that Jabbar would be more into that than mm-hmm. an average kid because his mom's a dancer and his dad's a musician. Yeah. Like, right, yeah. right. And right. he's very he, curious. I feel like that's yeah. a real uh, yeah. characteristic of Jabbar's. Yeah. 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 
And I do love that the thing she said to listen for, that the instruments sound like they're talking to each other. Right, yeah. Actually was happening. If I can right, be a right. little music it's nerd true. for a second here. <laughs> you have this cello solo come in. Then it goes up to the violin. Then back to the cello. Mm-hmm. Then back to the violin. And here's where Lily stopped playing, even though you hear the cello going. <laughs> Before we leave the quartet, I want to mention for all my fellow Disney music nerds that I feel like this section of the quartet. reminded me a lot of this cue from The Little Mermaid. Wow. Right? Yeah. It does. I mean, not exactly, and definitely they have different contexts, but I thought... I bet Alan Menken has heard the oh, Debussy string quartet and maybe it <laughs> and, you lodged know, in there somewhere. And you know, very like watery, like Debussy's, a lot of people think like watery and sea, like, you know, he, La Mer, like, so yeah. it's really interesting that he would choose that to co- sort of quote. Cool. Yeah. Well, to the actual characters themselves, <laughs> did you think that Jasmine was really upset about Crosby kissing a woman when Jabbar was about to arrive? Or do you, well, Melissa's already shaking her head. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think was actually happening? No, I mean I think she was just jealous because I think she would be a hypocrite, and I don't think that she's a hypocrite. It reminded me a little bit of when Crosby was early to pick up Jabbar, and Crosby got all upset because Joe was still over. Yeah, and. I'm guessing that maybe they were a little bit early because I don't think that Crosby is the type to kiss someone when he knows his son is about to walk in. Now, they never say that, but I'm just guessing. Like, I don't know why he would kiss this woman right before his son walked in. So my guess was they were running a little bit early. And so it was like kind of an echo. And Crosby, his issue was jealousy. And I think that that is Jasmine's issue as well. What did you two think? (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree too. Even though I haven't followed their relationships for very long, but it seemed as though that was something like jealousy a little bit. Yeah. Well, and then even when they were all at the concert, just the looks that Jasmine was giving and yeah. like her reaction to that moment between Lily and Jabbar, yeah. where Lily had a real yeah. connection with Jabbar, you could see that Jasmine yeah. was a little, not hurt by it, but it stung a little. Like, oh, I can't hate yeah, her for sure. because she's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And she's not just cool with Crosby. She's cool with Jabbar, too. Yeah. It was There was a moment uh-huh. in a previous episode yeah. when Crosby took Jabbar to Dr. Joe for a sprained wrist or something. And he had to admit, wow, he's really good with my son. Like, I got to mm-hmm. hand it to him. I can't be upset. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, Jasmine's getting a little of her own medicine. Yeah. <laughs> and it was such an interesting look because I was trying to think if we've ever seen Jasmine jealous before. And I don't know that we have. Even when 
I'm so sorry. You're getting all these spoilers. You've just started the show and we're going to... No, no, it's that, great. Okay. It's fine. All right. Well, the reason they're not together now is because he cheats on her. And even when oh. he does that, I don't know that we get jealousy from Jasmine. We get hurt and betrayal and anger. That's true, yeah. But I don't think she ever felt like this woman was a threat because Crosby sleeps with her and then immediately regrets it and wants only to be with Jasmine. And it's not like he's ever like, oh, I'm torn about who to be with. No, he's like, what, did I, what have I done? I shouldn't have done that. This is really, I think, her first time seeing Crosby interested in a woman truly, not just like hooking up with a woman or casually dating someone, but like really interested in her. And she's a woman of substance, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think right. we've ever seen this on her. And it was really interesting. I like it when we get the other shades, you know, when it's not just Crosby being jealous all the time, but we, we see Jasmine feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And am I crazy or did either of you notice a shot where it seemed like Joe yes. noticed Jasmine being jealous? Yes. Yeah. 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 I wonder like what to make of that. <sighs> Does that make him insecure does that make him possessive? Does it make him angry? Does he just completely slough it off? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> well, I have a question about this clip between Adam and Crosby. Hey, hey, I thought you were finished with that project. Uh, I am. Yeah? I was just listening to it because I like it. You like the music or you like the musician? Oh, well, I think it's both that I like the music and the musician. Yeah, I can tell. She's, uh... She's pretty cool. She's really unique. I like her. That's great, Cross. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Um, there is a little bit of a, a wrinkle, though. Yeah, what's up? Well, I asked Jasmine if I could take Jabbar to see her perform, right, right in the park yeah. this weekend. And then she invited herself and Dr. Joe to join us. And she knows that we've kissed. Pretty weird, right? That's not weird. That's stupid. <laughs> it is stupid. It is a bad idea. Well, have fun with that. I'll see you. Whoa, 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 wait. How do I get out of it? Uh, you could call Jasmine and you could ask her not to come. What if I acted like the performance had been canceled? <laughs> yeah, do that. Tell her the concert's canceled. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> First off, Crosby listening to Lily's recording just because he's falling for her is so sweet and so cute. Oh, yes. Yeah. But here was my sure. issue that I want to run by you. I disagree with both of them thinking that Jasmine going to the concert is a bad idea. Like, I get that it's early to be introducing Lily maybe to Jabbar and to the mother of your kid and her boyfriend and that it's it's a complicated situation and they have not, I don't mean, they're not even officially dating yet. But it's not a date with Lily. She's performing. And she's the Mm -hmm. one that suggested he bring Jabbar in the first place. So she's clearly okay with some of that situation being introduced. And I just feel like if everyone in this very complicated mix of people is able to be in one place and feel okay, I think that's a huge success. Now, maybe Crosby doesn't feel comfortable with it. And he, or he's just not ready. And then I guess it's, uh-huh. that's perhaps the actual issue. But I thought, like, don't worry about it. If, if it's going off without a hitch, count yourself lucky. Yeah. I agree with you. I totally. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. I don't know that I'd really thought about it like that. But, but hearing you line it out like that, it's, it's really great. And something that did strike me was the very sincere way 
that Lily and Jasmine complimented each other when they first met. And it just felt like such a gracious way to meet, you know, like when we first meet Joe and Crosby, there's like animosity because Crosby's being a baby, (laughs) you know, like they're, Mm -hmm. they're in the, the office with Dr. Joe and, and Crosby's second guessing everything Joe is saying. And it's really disrespectful. And I love that it was the opposite for these two women. You know, it was like, Oh, I love your dress. Oh, I love your earrings, you know? And it felt very sincere. And I'm like, look at them being such grown ups. <laughs> Everyone's a grown up here except for Crosby. <laughs> Even Jabbar is maybe more of a grown up. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really Well, and nice. to Crosby's credit, at the actual performance, yes. it seems like it's all going. But you know, now that I pose this question or pose this issue to you and kind of met with crickets, I think maybe <laughs> I'm answering my own question, which is. Well, he's uncomfortable with mm-hmm. it. That is the issue. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah, yeah. he's being put in this position earlier than he wanted to. But and then I feel like the lesson he learns is that it was okay. He maybe didn't need to worry. Yeah. But I, then I wonder where does that worry come from? Is it that he thinks it might screw things up with Lily? Does he think it might complicate things with Jabbar or Jasmine? Yeah. All of the above? Maybe so. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder... I mean, being ready to move on is probably different from having zero residual feelings for the ex, right? Like some people totally get over their ex 100% and that's their thing. But I mean, Crosby has said to Jasmine, part of me will always love you. And it seems based on her reaction, maybe she feels the same way. And so it's an interesting position to put them in. They're both with really wonderful people. They are not with toxic people. In, in a way, they're with people that make more sense for them than they do with each other, you know? Yeah. And so that that's an interesting thing. Like, can you just move forward with this person who you really care about and think is awesome and you know that they're good for you? Or, you know, are you just always going to pine for this other person? And I wonder if that was what he was maybe worried about was like being in the room with both of them or being yeah. in the open air yeah. With, yeah. with both of them at the well, same time. Now, now I'm thinking about <laughs> Melissa, how you talk sometimes about, you know, the different kinds of intimacy Crosby asked to see her in a performance. And as I've said before, watching someone do the thing at which they have a lot of expertise and skill is a big turn on. And to see Lily in that kind of venue, really being, you know, in command of her instrument and her talent, and he's falling for her in the process, that's a kind of intimate thing. And it does make sense that you might not love your (laughs) ex-fiance and her, her new boyfriend being there, even if everyone's on good terms. Yeah. It's like I'm kind of mm-hmm. in this very intimate frame of mind and now I have to make room yeah. for you guys too. Well, and also, even like, Jabbar might be a little awkward. Like I was going to say also though, Lily invited, told him to bring Jabbar, but she didn't say also bring your ex-fiance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I could see how Crosby might feel like that might get in the way of his relationship with Lily if you know he's bringing his ex with him to the date that she asks him to come on kind of thing you know absolutely like yeah. if you ask someone to come and do something with you and then they like oh and here's my ex-fiance you know like <laughs> cool if I bring her date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is that's a good point that's a little strange 
And maybe, maybe he's afraid of how that will appear to her. Yeah, he doesn't want to make her uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we yeah. never saw that conversation. <laughs> so it's going to be me. <laughs> hey, Lily. It's and okay. my son. <laughs> did we? We didn't, did we? Or did no, we, we didn't. Okay. I'm just like yeah. acting There's out so what that might be. There's so much stuff in this episode. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> did we see that scene? No. We did not. I bet well, she would have been cool with it. She seems so cool. Like, I mean, just yeah, the yeah. coolest. So... Yeah. Yeah. That might also be intimidating to Jasmine because Jasmine is also the coolest. So I wonder if she's like, she like equals me in cool. Like we're both laid back <laughs> creative types, and, but both like wow. intense about the, the, you know, certain things. Anyway, they're, they're well, not it on continues, It continues that dynamic that exists with Joe too, that it's maybe more threatening to have a, you know, rival, romantic yes. rival who isn't a monster and who's actually great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy to hate a monster and you don't feel mm-hmm. crazy or unreasonable for not liking them. But right. it would be unreasonable of Crosby to dislike Joe and it would be unreasonable of Jasmine to dislike Lily, which mm-hmm. makes it <laughs> worse for each of them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Well, let's shift to Hattie in this episode who got into Cornell, which is no small feat. I did a little research, and according to an article on news.cornell.edu, the total cost of tuition, fees, and room and board for the 2012-2013 year, which would be Hattie's first year, was $57,041. So they were right on when Adam said, you know, more like $60,000. Wow. And my first note was, college is so expensive, and I don't really know what else to say about that. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, speaking as someone who's going through that right now, this is, you know, with all the applications and, you know, when you get your acceptances, I mean, so much has to do with how much it's going to cost. I mean, it's just, it's really crazy right now what anyway <laughs> but no that's just... that's, that's perfect that you are in this you know situation did your son consider a lot of different places and how much I mean if you don't mind my asking something so personal yeah, yeah. was was no, no, cost no. a big factor in him and, and your whole family deciding where he would go well cost was a big factor I mean even when you get scholarships to places they still like even if you get like half scholarship you're still gonna wind up paying like forty thousand dollars or something you know a year Oof. i mean so it's really insane yeah so yeah that was definitely part of the mix i mean i was watching the storyline and i was relating so much to that because you know we had very similar conversations in our household and um but I think all along, it sounds like a difference with Matt. We don't have the whole situation with an autistic child getting resources. And, you know, like all along, we've been pretty honest with both of our kids about our financial, you know, what we can do and what we can't do. So none of it seems like a sacrifice or, you know, with him, he was very understanding of our situation. So, yeah. but it turns out he, it's a great fit where he's going and it's, we're thrilled. It's, we're going to stretch, have to stretch our budget, but it's, yeah, it's good. We're happy, but I could totally relate to that whole storyline. I bet you could. (laughs) Ah, man. I felt so terrible for Hattie. I mean, and for Adam and Christina, it was a really good conflict because I'm sure they would, I mean, I know they would love to just be able to pay for wherever she wanted to go, but that's not reality. I especially sympathized with Adam when he said they're going to look at my income from my last job, 
not right. the new one. Yeah. That was yeah. how I felt like when the pandemic started, yeah. I didn't qualify for any stimulus, even though I was a hundred percent unemployed mm-hmm. because they were basing off of the income from the year before when I had worked mm-hmm. steadily. And I was really upset about that. I was like, yeah. I'm a harder hit than most people right now. Yeah. I can't yeah. do my job. But because I had a good 2019, I don't get any assistance. Ugh. That eventually got rectified. That was baked into the stimulus. It just mm-hmm. took longer. Anyway, once again, I'm so grateful for any story having to do with money. I just feel like those stories aren't told on TV a lot. And it yeah. is so relatable. I had a question yeah. for you both. Adam says he doesn't want Hattie graduating with a lot of debt. So he doesn't want to just take out loans for her, which I, of course, understand. But I wonder, do you think parents should be able to rule out loans for their children? Mm -hmm. Because it's the child's debt, not the parents. I mean, I get that almost all the time. I'm sure the parents are going to have to co-sign. So it could end up being the parents' debt. And I I get that there are probably very few 17 or 18-year-olds who, when faced with something they want so much, are going to have the foresight to be like, this isn't wise. Right. But still, I just wondered. I mean, Caleb, that's such an interesting question. And I definitely, I feel like as an adult now, I know what debt means and I know how it can handicap people, you know, whatever. Whereas a kid, like you said, like if you're 17 years old, you really want to do something. You're like, oh, I'll go to Cornell, but then I'll get some great job because it's an Ivy League school. And then I'll just be able to make all this money and then I'll be able to pay it off. And whereas the world doesn't work that way. You know, I feel like parents know much better the reality of life. You know, like you're not guaranteed a job. You're not, you know, and, and it's so much better in a way to, go out into the world without like some kind of a heavy debt. So many people were advising us when we were making these college decisions about how they wish, like lots of my friends who'd been to like Ivy League schools or different things were saying, or like Juilliard or just places that cost a lot of money. They're like, I wish that I had gone to this other school or I wish I had done two years here and then done that, you know, because they're saddled with all this debt and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think maybe a parent might know a little better than the child in that situation, but totally, I guess it's a conversation that they need to have. Yeah. Well, and my thought is that I wish we knew what Hattie wanted to do career-wise because Mm, like, you know, Caleb and I have kind of talked about this before, so I won't go full in depth, but I will say Caleb's college tuition was a lot and mine was nothing. I I went to the state school in the town where, you know, we grew up in and I lived at home. And, um, I mean, I will just say I owed $11,000 when I graduated and I paid it off in a year and I'm proud of that. But also it was important that I do that because if I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and then I became a high school English teacher, that would have cut my legs out from under me and it would not have been worth it. I don't think for the job I have, I never would have paid that back. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have the sort of job where you can pay it back, you know, if, or or a, a shot at paying it back, or if you need sort of a prestigious university to get where you want to go, then it makes sense to me. But a lot of times I don't know that it does make sense. It's just an experience. That's such a smart observation. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel though, like, but in a weird way, even if you think you're going to be like a doctor or whatever (laughs) it is that will make a lot of money. I mean, very few people actually know really what they're going to wind up doing. You know what I mean? So it's so hard to know that. It's a good point. But you're right though. Like strategic decisions. Yeah. I also thought Adam's opinion was bolstered by the fact that the safety school in town is UC Berkeley. That's I know, which is a great school. A lousy school. That's a great yeah. school. So even though I totally understand not wanting to go to college in the town where you grew up. Yeah. And living at home. And living at home. <laughs> but it's not like Adam would be asking her to settle for some crappy school. Right. He right. would be asking her to settle right. for a great school. Yeah. 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 But like, Caleb, if you'd gone to Pitt State like I did, you would have a totally different life now. You wouldn't have made it to Broadway. You you had to go well, there. What's, you had what's to, strange yeah. is, you know, I may have. You never know. That's true. For me, what NYU offered so much was really assistance with moving to New York and getting mm. acclimated to New York. When I look back on my college experience, my education was okay. I hate to say like my private teacher was wonderful. I learned a lot from him, but the music education in general, I feel like was average, Mm. but I had lived in a town of, you know, 18,000 my whole life. And so to be able to go to New York surrounded by people my age who were also brand new to the city and not have to worry about where am I going to live? I'm going to live in the dorms. How do I pay for food? You have a meal plan. What am I going to do all day, every day? You're going to go to class and earn your degree. It just, it provided so much structure. That makes sense. And then I had that for four years before I then had to be a young, you know, aspiring musician in New York. And I knew so many people by the end of those four years. Yeah. Yeah. I could have gone to Pitt State and I think probably gotten, aside from that private teacher, I probably could have gotten an equivalent music education. And then and Caleb is a superstar, so he wouldn't have wound up on Broadway no matter what. <laughs> oh, He's so you. great. It's well, true. But then it would have been so daunting to yeah. be in a city of strangers <laughs> with, uh, go find a job. That's Otherwise, true. you're just sitting at home all day. And what home? I don't know. Whatever I can find <laughs> and pay for. and you know. I'm just now realizing that I have always thought of NYU as like this crucial like stepping stone for you to get to Broadway, even though I know how enormously talented you are. So I hope it doesn't, you know, sound like I I don't, but I just don't know how Broadway works. I don't know how like that works the way that you two do. I don't either. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, I don't know how a person, I mean, even though I, I know you so well, one of my best friends, I'm still like, how the hell did you do that? That's amazing. It's so cool. Like people have big dreams all the time and most people I know who have big dreams, they sort of set them aside, you know, and it's just incredible to me. And I don't know. And and I guess now that we're talking about it, I'm acting like, well, you wanted to be on Broadway, so you needed the big degree with the, you know, exp- and it was expensive. But I guess like like you are saying, Sarah, it's not like it's guaranteed, you know, Caleb knew, you know, what he wanted to do, but it is kind of a gamble too, a risk, no matter how talented you are. That's interesting to think about. Yeah. Although I do think that sort of his choosing to go to NYU for all the reasons he listed also, but additionally, it does increase your chances 
of being able to move to Broadway because the people that you're going to meet in those four years, it's like connections in the same way. I'm sure like in Ivy league schools, you know, you meet people who are connected to big corporations or whatever it is where you want to be working. And so, you know, if he was studying in Kansas, I believe he would have eventually gotten to Broadway, (laughs) but I think being, being around all those people in New York get, having them hear what he can do you know he's exposing himself to these people who want to root for him or hire him or pull him into their projects because they know how great he is and those people wouldn't have been in Kansas to hear him or to see what he could do so it would have been a lot of lot more work for him otherwise so I mean there is definitely value in that for sure but yeah that's so true and I've thought a lot recently as our whole industry and our whole culture has discussions about access to opportunity and how, how is that different for different people realizing that really I just paid for access mm. to a, a world, to a, a, a like strata of wow. society. Mm. And I didn't have the money to do that. So I just borrowed it all. And luckily I was able to pay it off. I mean, but it took me a decade And that's not to denigrate my education. I did learn. And once I chose that path, and now that I'm down the path a ways, I can literally trace every opportunity I've had had back to going to NYU. But, you know, had I gone on a different path, it might have ended up in a similar place. And then I would trace things back to different things. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, Sarah, do you mind, like, where did you go to school? And are you glad you went there? Yeah, I also did. I did conservatory training. I went to Eastman School of Music and then I went to Cleveland Institute of Music. And the way I got to New York was, but see, this is was an, a little bit of a different choice because I got a scholarship to study at Manus School of Music in New York. So I wound up not owing anything for the graduate school, but it still got me into New York wow. and around the whole music world. So I kind of got lucky in that particular respect. And and I had a fantastic teacher that I studied with there. So um, I just happened to get kind of lucky in that situation. That's cool. But yeah, but I definitely, you know, understand the value of being around like-minded and, you know, people with connection. Well, what did you think of Hattie's reaction in this scene with her mom? Listen, Hattie, I know how unfair this is. I know that you've worked so hard. You've taken all the AP classes. You've done everything the right way. I mean, this shouldn't be an issue. Our finances should not be an issue. I mean, Dad and I made sure of it when you were Mom, little. We I started saving. And... Mom, I hope you don't think that I'm upset about your finances. Then why are you upset? You I don't cheat? want to talk about it. Hattie, tell me. Honestly, it's just another situation that I feel like because Max needs something, I don't get to do something that I want. Well... You know, honey, I'm sorry. I mean, we have to spend a lot of money on Max. Dr. Pelican alone, huge yeah, expense, I know. like Dad and I told you, but this is not I know. A- Don't explain to me that I need to understand Max's situation or anything. You. Like, I get it. If he has to see Dr. Pelican and fulfill all his I'm needs and I can't go to understand, school, then, like, okay. that's I, what it is. Okay. I just, um, we are trying and, you know... I'm just asking you not to be upset because... Mom, if I can't go to the school that I want to go to, that's fine. People don't get to do stuff that they don't that they want to do all the time, but you can't ask me to not be upset about it. Okay. 
You have to just let it be what it is. Okay. That's such a great scene. So well written. Oh my gosh. And well acted. I was really like hardcore seeing both of their sides through the majority of that scene. The only part where I was, I thought one person was right was at the end where Hattie said, you can't ask me not to be upset. I thought, Right, Christina, yeah. and, and I got Christina's impulse. I always want to make sure, like, you're not upset with me, are you? Like, you know, so I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But that was a really powerful, and once again, like, Hattie blows my mind with how mature she is. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can't take away someone's, you know, being upset about something. And I mean, especially since her being upset really just seemed to be her being in her room processing, you know, she wasn't screaming Mm -hmm. at them or trying to make them feel guilty. These very real feelings she has about Max getting what he wants only came out when Christina came to her room and was like, please tell me what you're feeling. And then she told her, you know, (laughs) so it's not like she was trying to guilt trip her mother, you know, that's just how she felt. And she has to be allowed to feel what she feels. And it's the only way she's going to get over how she feels or, or you know, move forward. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree being blown away by how mature she is. Like the line, yeah. people don't get to do stuff they want all the time. Like that shows such an ability to look outside of yourself and, and mm-hmm. recognize like I'm not entitled to just whatever I want all the time. Right. But you do get to be upset about it though. Yes. Cause no one likes that. <laughs> yeah. I also love that she trips over a word. Sarah Ramos trips over a word in that line. She says, people don't get to do stuff that they don't, that they want to do all the time. And I'm sure that was just a mistake in the moment. And I love that they left it in because it mm-hmm. just added to the reality. Like her seeming like, flustered yeah. and, you know, yeah, trying like, to get oh, her words out. Up and, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I think that's wonderful. I, and and honestly, I don't know what the right decision was. As a viewer, that scene with Adam going and talking to her mm-hmm. and then being like, you can go, basically. And then like, yeah. I mean, I'm like crying. I'm so happy. <laughs> Obviously, as a viewer, I'm like, this is the right call. She deserves this. But <laughs> but I am so fiercely scared of debt. You know, my, my first yeah, yeah, money yeah, yeah. memory ever was my mom surrounded by hospital bills um my dad had just gotten his phd and then two weeks later he had two major strokes and he was never Uh, able to uh, oh my god yeah it it was so awful we were depending on his job he was gonna get you know and and pay back all that and instead we were just plunged into depths of of debt and i mentioned this i may have mentioned it before so I, i hope i'm not repeating myself but it just I think debt is no small thing. You know, I think it really can make your life so much harder in ways that Hattie maybe can't see. And so I really didn't think Adam and Christina were just being jerks, which I sometimes do, but this time I didn't. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I was really torn on what the right thing to do was. You know, as a viewer, I loved it, but I I don't know if it was the right choice. Maybe she would have had just as good of an experience at Berkeley and it would have you know, been a lot more practical. I don't know. Yeah. It's so funny. I was just wishing that somehow Cornell would like send them a letter, like full scholarship, like suddenly, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he would say, he would say, Oh, we'll pay for it for you. So you're like, Oh, yay. <laughs> and then suddenly they get like, full scholarship. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved that. Like the next scene we saw in that storyline 
was Christina with Adam going, we have to send her. Like, we mm-hmm. have to figure it out. Yeah. It reminded me of a previous episode, and I can't remember which one. But when we noticed that, I think it was Christina, she has one approach with the kids and then another approach with her spouse. Mm. And that she and Adam really do believe in presenting a united front, even if they're not always completely in agreement. Yeah. She went in to Hattie's room kind of making Adam's case, even though Christina doesn't totally agree with Adam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't let Hattie hear her conversation with Adam. Yeah. She mm-hmm. keeps those separate. So she respects mm-hmm. her husband's opinion on the subject enough to go to Hattie and say, please mm-hmm. understand. But then she respects her daughter's opinion enough to go to her husband and say, we have to beg, steal, or borrow. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, college to me just feels like so the opposite of a frivolous purchase. Yeah, that's true. That I feel like it's worth taking a big risk on. But for better or worse, I'm a product of my father who said, they can't repossess your education. <laughs> and yet, you know, my student loan debt was an enormous source of stress on yeah. my life. So... I agree. I'm not sure that they did the best thing, but how can you not be on Adam's side in that moment when he breaks (laughs) down and lets her have it? Yeah. They're certainly making a loving choice, you know, and and I do think storyline wise, it was beautiful for them to realize that Hattie has made so many sacrifices and Max has gotten not just more money, but more time, more attention, more care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this was them really recognizing that and that how can you argue with that you know it's Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful gesture even if it ultimately it's really stressful for all of them yeah (laughs) that's the you know that's the bugaboo about money it just no one in this episode is of the opinion that hattie shouldn't get to go to cornell everyone agrees right right just how how do we make that happen Well, did anyone else feel a bit of a sting that Christina in the first half of this episode can't pay for her daughter's hard-earned admission to an Ivy League school? And then she spends the second half of the episode drumming up donations from extremely wealthy (laughs) people. Oh my God. I was like, any one of these people could just don't write a check to Bob, write a check to Christina and just let her daughter go. That's true. It's funny. I really yeah, didn't, didn't even, even put that together. No, me neither. I don't think they were intended to be linked, but as I was watching them going around, oh, well, we can get a lot of money out of this person. Just ask Mr. Wormley. He's drunk. He won't know. Yeah, yeah right, right. Check. Well, <laughs> Melissa, I am so glad you mentioned Mr. Wormley oh, okay. because <laughs> listeners, we told you long, long ago to be on the lookout for this moment. And it has <gasps> arrived. Oh. The triumphant return of Cookie Grass. <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> yes. Actor Googie Grass, memorably last seen in the role of dog owner in season two, episode six, Orange Alert is now back playing Mr. Wormley. Is Mr. Wormley the dog owner? I don't think so. I doubt I it. I think we're just supposed to think that Cookie Grass is now a totally new person. So how many parts does this actor play on Parenthood? Did you, you said it at one point. Do you remember? Off the top of my head, I don't. I think he's in, I want to say, four episodes total. And maybe a different and I don't character know if each time. Those are always different characters or if any of them ever repeat. That's fun. But I believe this is the second. I did think he looked hella familiar and I didn't bother to look it up. 
<laughs> Caleb has made that me a little spooky grass. <laughs> Caleb's made me a little like um, spoiled on the looking up stuff. I'll be like, Caleb will tell me who that is. <laughs> so that's fun. Oh my gosh. I didn't have much to say about the whole fundraising event, although I did think Christina with the microphone was a hilarious little like three act play unto itself. <laughs> She's reluctant at first and then it seemed like she kind of liked it and didn't want to leave. <laughs> but I do want to examine a little bit just one of these interactions between Amber and Bob. Methinks this is going down a dangerous path. Hey. Hey. Thank you so much for tonight. Please. Really. Thank you. That was amazing. You did so well. Yes. Right? Yeah, we did. Shh. 130,000. Whoa! Congratulations. It's that smile. That's yeah, right. Time. Well, when I run for president, you can say that you completely and utterly saved my first campaign. President? My goodness. So <laughs> them's lofty goals. Yes. Well, we certainly don't have any self-confidence <laughs> issues, apparently. Clearly. Well, maybe I can run your presidential campaign, too. Oh, it would be an honor. Sure. Miss Amber Holt, thank you very, very much for tonight. You're welcome. This is me. Are you, um, are you hungry? Do you want to get a bite to eat? I would like that, but I have to be up really early working for you. Hey. <laughs> it's. Totally get it. Hey, we'll do it another time. It's um Okay. It's uh it's no big deal. Yeah. Okay? It sounds sounds good. Thank you again. Good night. Good night. <sighs> I put down this episode is Amber's booth job. Mm. I didn't love it then. And I don't love it now. Although I suppose a key difference is at the end of the booth job, Sarah was making out with her boss in the parking lot. Yeah. And Amber sent him on his way. And I wonder, why do you think she turned him down? I wondered that too. I don't think it's because she didn't want to go with him. Yeah. But is she aware that that would be inappropriate? Is that why she didn't go? Or is she like just genuinely tired? <laughs> Doesn't feel like doing it? How is her self-esteem? You know what I mean? What's her self-esteem like? Do you think she worries about what would happen if she got attached and then he, I don't know. That is such a perceptive question because I don't think there's an easy answer to that because I yeah. think she's very quick to doubt herself. You know, like when Christina offered her this job in the first place, she was very like, I don't know if I can handle it. I don't want to let anyone down. But she also has this kind of confidence about her, you know, like that may mm -hmm. just be May Whitman, <laughs> you know, like kind of coming through. But, you know, I think she knows she's, a valuable person, but she second guesses herself a lot. So I think that's a hard question to answer, actually. Yeah, I, we have seen her within the campaign, I think, feel self-conscious about like the fact that she is not in college at the moment and everyone else in the campaign is a college student. And so there might be some like inferiority there that someone like Bob showing interest I think would be extremely validating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure yet how much she really, does she like him? I mean, I know she, you know, she said in the last episode that he seemed like a personable guy mm -hmm. and they're getting along. I don't know. This is so weird. I, I know for a fact 
that when I watched this show originally, I was totally shipping them, which I know, which I find (laughs) very troubling now, you know, just, I don't know, I guess the difference of 10 years or something and the Me Too movement. I mean, I was never interested in Sarah and her boss, but I thought Billy Baldwin was, you know, smarmy and gross. And so I never, I never liked them. Mm -hmm. But I do see the appeal of Bob. I mean, he's a little smarmy, maybe like a little schmoozy might be the better word. Not really smarmy, but schmoozy. But I think he's very charming. I do think he's kind of cute in like a button up kind of way. I think their dynamic feels very natural, you know, like there's something appealing there. However, now watching it, I don't know, at my age now, I I just see all these red flags and I find it really inappropriate in a way that I I don't think I did before. And so that's interesting. I can see the appeal, but now I'm like, oh, she was right to turn him down. And I think she might have turned him down maybe because... And I'm just now realizing this is an epiphany because I asked myself the same thing. You know, when things are going well in a conversation and you're like, I better leave before I say something stupid and ruin it. Like, I wonder if she's like, this has all gone so well. Let's just Uh call it a day. You know, Um, that's my guess. Or yeah, I don't know. Other people say things now. What do you what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose she may also feel some she knows Christina is the one who got her this job. So she may feel some like deference to Christina and think I shouldn't be hanging out with the candidate outside of campaign events or something because that would reflect badly on Christina. I don't know. It is odd though, just to think, you know, you said you liked them the first time around watching it. If Amber weren't working on the campaign, then there'd be no issue. If it was like, oh, my Aunt Christine is working on this campaign and I've run into the candidate a few times and we always have this kind of interesting chemistry and I think I might go grab a bite with him. Okay, maybe he's 10 years older, but that's not the end of the world. It is just the fact that she's employed on the campaign, right? I mean, that's the only real red flag, right? Well, does she, I mean, it sounds like she's pretty good at that job. And maybe like when he said, oh, you'd be my campaign manager when I run for president. I mean, realistically, if that's some, if you have that, if that's something you want to do, it probably would be the best way to sabotage that mm. would be to have an affair with the person who's going to try to help you get there. You know, like maybe she wants to keep it professional mm. yeah. for, for those reasons too, just so that if she really cares about her career in that world, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you yeah. would, I don't know. That's a good point. That's a very good point. She says in another episode, I think in season two, every time something good happens to me, I feel like I do something to mess it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if she is discovering that she has an aptitude for this line of work that she never thought of before, maybe she'd be smart to not mess it up. Well, she would be smart to mess it up. (laughs) Was it inappropriate of him to even ask her to get a bite to eat? Like, that is something I find interesting. Yeah. Because because yeah. I don't think I don't think it's automatically inappropriate to ask someone to go if you're hungry. Yeah. To go eat something with a coworker that certainly can be totally innocent. Of course it's very and, late, which I think might It's so hard yeah. in this yeah. case though cuz it's not in, and I mean definitely I don't think vibes. it's innocent, is it? Like, you know. Yeah. It seems like he definitely wanted something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
And they've been kind of flirting all. I mean, not even just tonight. It has been before mm-hmm. this too. Do you do you like no. Bob Little? The two of you like. Do you see the appeal, or do you think he's Gordon level? Like you know, gross. Get out of here, or somewhere in the middle. Can <laughs> <laughs> I? I feel like I haven't been commenting so much only because you know I'm dropped in on this episode. Like right. I started watching the beginning and stuff, but so. To me, just from the one episode, not seeing him before, he seems kind of like dangerous to me, like a yeah. little smarmy. Yeah. I can sort of see why she's like a little reticent with him because yeah. he doesn't seem very trustworthy. But that's just my own feeling from the one episode. So I don't know. I think that's probably good to go with yeah. that gut. You know, I don't think you should be asking a young, a much younger woman out like who works for you I who think. works for you yeah, I that know, is right? smarmy and alone you yeah. know if if, yeah. he, if it was if christina was still there and he said i'm really hungry do you Both. guys want yeah. to go get you know yeah totally different true but and then again like you know margins does something inappropriate have to happen if they went and got something to eat of course not but nothing's going to happen if they don't right for sure so like <laughs> just don't even don't even tiptoe near it. Yeah. Just steer clear. That's true. It's funny to think back. Like, I wonder why I shipped them. I, I think that I maybe just used to look at things differently. Like maybe not doing a podcast. I just looked at it as entertainment value. And now everything is like a moral dilemma. <laughs> like, what do you do? You know? <laughs> I do see his appeal. Like, yeah. I get why she yeah. might be interested yeah. in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's charming. He's cute. Yeah. His he voice. does have this esh thing that kind of bothers me, but does he kind of does he kind of talk like Michael J. Fox or somebody? Like when you were just playing the the audio, I was like, who does he sound like? He sounds like I don't know. Hmm. Well, let's jump to Julia and Zoe. Okay. My first question is: Did you think it was overly cautious of Julia to be hiding the nursery from Zoe, or was it just sensitive and kind? I. <laughs> I think like Julia does with everything, she just goes overboard. Like the fact that she was wearing those giant goggles and Joel was like laughing at her, like she really didn't need to wear those. It reminded me of that like <laughs> early episode when she decides she's going to teach Sydney how to swim and she like, you know, oh, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, if she's going to do something, she's going to do it. And if she decides uh-huh. it's better if Zoe doesn't see this, she's going to like fall all over herself <laughs> instead like of just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of just being like, I'm going to try to close the door. I hope she doesn't see it. She's She kind of, I think, maybe overdoes it a little. That's what I think. What do you think? I think Zoe in Pigtails is freaking adorable. <laughs> she is. <laughs> She's One of those scenes, she just had her hair in Pigtails. And it's like, you are cute as a button. She, I love Zoe oh, so much. Yeah. yeah. I know I've said this before, but I can't help but feel like they should broach the subject about what role, if any, Zoe is going to have in her child's life. I know early on she said she wanted a close adoption. I just feel like so much has changed between her and Julia since then. She's been living with the adoptive parents for weeks, if not months at this point. Yeah, Isn't it worth a conversation? I just hate the idea of like, as soon as the baby's born, he will be whisked out of the room and you will never lay eyes on him again. Or us. 
or us. Like you've been living with us. Suddenly you're kicked out on the streets and we have your baby. (laughs) Like it feels very, there are so many degrees between that and Zoe keeps the baby and raises it on her own. Yeah. And I, I can certainly understand that that would be a complicated thing to try and figure out, especially for Zoe, that it would be painful to be like, I'm going to be around him, but I'm not going to be his mother. I can't even imagine, but it just seems like the pain of almost pretending like he never existed and that Julia and Joel never existed. Just, I mean, when she gives her the, her grandfather's watching, it clearly means so much to her. Give it to him yourself. Like, to let you visit right I, I don't know just felt terrible I because I don't know how we got to this spot is there ever any it seems like this episode is Julia afraid that she's going to change her mind is that part of it like could she change her mind like could she just decide to keep the ch- child I think she could I think she can yeah there was a, a little scare they met the father of the baby and he wanted money from them so that seemed like it was going to maybe derail things, but I don't think Zoe's ever been anyone to be concerned about. Like, oh, okay. But they keep saying, Zoe has said previously, you know, when, when Julia first brought up, could I adopt the baby? Zoe says, no. And she says, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I don't want to know where the baby goes. Uh. It just feels so painful. I feel like if I know the people and I like the people, that'll just be too hard. Which made sense then, but now I think the opposite feels true. Like, right? How can you cut these? All these people mean something to you now, right? And I don't really get the feeling that Joel or Julia would be threatened by Zoe having a presence, yeah, in the baby's life. But it's definitely complicated in a way that Zoe was not imagining when she was first lining out her adoption plan. Like mm-hmm. this got much more complicated than she ever could have dreamed. And and in many ways it got more wonderful. You know, she's gotten all this like emotional support and they've paid for her medical bills. But I mean, for someone who wanted a closed adoption to now be <laughs> living in their house and yeah, it's really hard. And let me say something about this last scene between Zoe and Julia. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry about that. I didn't really think about um, what it was going to be like. And if I had, I wouldn't have made us come. So, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. It just hurts. It hurts more than I thought it was going to hurt. But it is what it is, right? Okay. First things first, when I came to this episode, I remembered the title, It Is What It Is, in reference to Hattie's scene, when she says, you can't ask me not to be upset, you just have to let it be what it is, which is not word for word the title, but almost. Mm -hmm. And then when it got to this scene, I was thinking, wow, this is really another instance of it is what it is. You just have to let it be what it is. But I didn't remember that Zoe just flat out says it. It is what it is. (laughs) Anyway, do you think Zoe saying, I don't want you to worry about this, would make Julia worry? Because if it were me, I feel like I wouldn't be worried about that until Zoe says something like that. And then I would think, oh, I wasn't worried about that. But now it's on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know, I mean, that does, does it, I mean, what, what exactly does Zoe mean when she says, I don't want you to worry about this? Does she mean I'm not going to change my mind or is she referring to something else? Well, to me, it seemed as though she was feeling guilt about giving up the baby and she was maybe having second thoughts. I mean, that's how I would interpret it just coming in out of the blue because Yeah. I mean, when you give birth, you do have this crazy bond with this other human and you don't really know how you're going to feel ahead of time. I'm sure it must be strange for her to be being told that by that birthing coach. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it must make her maybe rethink in some ways on some level what her choices are. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. Good point. That's how I interpreted it. I suppose it could also be interpreted as, I don't want you to worry about how much me giving you the baby is going to hurt me. Right. Like, since Julia has, she she must have some affection for Zoe by this point. How could you not? She's the cutest thing in the world. It would Uh. be hard to watch how much it was hurting her. Yeah. You know, that Julia Mm -hmm. might feel some guilt about, like, why am I taking her baby away from her? Yeah. yeah. And so maybe Zoe is thinking, don't feel too bad for me. Like, don't worry about it. This is what we're going to do. I wonder what that... Oh, God, it would be painful. What must that be like? I I can't even fathom it. Like, because, I mean, I don't have children at all, so I can't really fathom any part of it. But Mm -hmm. I wonder what it must be like to carry a child to term, knowing the whole time that you are not keeping the child. And the thing that they tell you makes the pain all worth it. You don't get to have, you know, like, yeah, you know, right. Like, right. wow, that must be a I very think that's hard why I'm so desperate for them to address yeah. the issue. Mm-hmm. Because I, I remember when I first heard about the concept of open adoption, where the birth parents are not anonymous and the birth parents mm-hmm. and the adoptive parents know each other before the mm-hmm. birth and after the birth. And uh-huh. the child grows up knowing oh, these are my parents, and then this is whoever gave birth to me. Yeah. And they have some kind of relationship. I, that to me seemed crazy. I thought that would be so hard to navigate. How would you do that? But the more I've heard about it and the more people I've seen do it, it makes so much sense because I think it would be so hard to carry that child and think it's all right. for nothing. I'm never going to see them again. Yeah. If you yeah. knew this isn't the end, I'm not going to be their parent, but I'm right. not going to be no like all the hard stuff. You don't have to do the hard stuff. Yeah. Someone else is doing the hard stuff <laughs> yeah. for you. And then you can just drop in and have a relationship. I mean, Aunt Zoe. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem so bad. Yeah. And if she doesn't want that, she's, of course, entitled not to do that. But I want yeah. to hurt less for her. Well, and, and at this Aww. point, Joel and Julia are like her entire support system and her closest friends. And so it breaks my heart that not only, you know, just the idea that she just never sees them again. What? That just seems impossible yeah. and so hard. Yeah. So it, it's you one know, of I those. Have... Yeah, go ahead. I was just. No, no, good. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's one of those really interesting storylines where the deeper they get into their situation, the more you love them all together in their dynamic and the more you just oh. know, oh, this is going to be so painful Let's, when it comes to oh. its inevitable end. But yeah, yeah. What, what were you going to say, Sarah? And I was just going to say that I, one of my friends, it was a weird situation. She didn't know about this until after she became an adult, but her 
her mother was actually her aunt and her aunt was her mother. So the sister of that, of that aunt, um, they couldn't have children. So they wanted to raise the child as their own. So what was interesting for her is that she got to know her mother as a family member, even just, she didn't know who, that it was her actual mother. So they were able to kind of have a weird familial relationship and be in each other's life. But the actual birth mother didn't have to have that kind of responsibility, you know, because I I believe she was unmarried at the time and, you know, whatever she wanted to, but anyway. Did that rock (laughs) your friend's world when she found out? I think so. Yeah, she was, it was, it was a huge thing, but at the same time, I mean, it, it was a little more probably organic in a way that, you know, she knew everybody really well. Anyway. And that's something I would, ima- I mean, I can imagine it would rock your world because you've not been told the truth for so right, long. Right, right, right. But I would also assume that she still thinks of technically her aunt as her mother. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, once you learn that, it, but it's not like, oh, well, now she's my real mother. Of course no. not. You've had all this time. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, that to me speaks to just the like truth that it's not biology that makes someone a parent. It's, right. Right. For it's sure. all the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. But how, and how great for that, your friend's birth mother to st- have a relationship with her child and right. not, not wonder where are they? Are they okay? What happened yeah. with their life? She gets yeah. to know. Yeah. Wow. Well, everyone <laughs> stop the presses because Sarah Braverman is writing. <laughs> <laughs> Remember I took when she wrote a play? Too. I took note of that too. How, quick, how quickly we've forgotten. Anyway, oh. it's just like a shot of her tapping away at the keyboard. But it's like, oh my gosh, she's doing it. It hasn't yeah. totally fallen off this story. I, I mean, it has. But but every once in a while she mentions she writes. So, But I like the mirror image of Hattie's collegiate storyline in this episode was Drew looking at college and making plans. Very different from Amber. Like had to be dragged onto a campus tour. Drew, a year before Amber, is asking his mom, can I please go on this campus tour? I wondered, did either of you ever go on campus tours when you were looking at prospective schools? Yeah. Well, for me, I had to take auditions at all the schools Mm. that I wanted to go to. So I basically wound up going to them and seeing them and everything. So. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, what about you, Caleb? Did you have to audition? Like, how did that work with NYU? Yeah, I had to audition at several places. NYU, I didn't go to physically until I think I knew I was going there. But I did go on an actual campus tour at some mm-hmm. point with my dad. And I remember the campus tour guide in somewhere in their spiel, they said something like, of students at NYU receive some form of financial aid. And my dad leaned down to me and he said, and 60% don't? (laughs) Which is just, that's how we were. Wow, 60% of people just write this check? Wow. Amazing. Oh my gosh. But I also, I know I went to DePaul University in Chicago for an audition to the campus. And I went to Ithaca College in the same city as Cornell for an audition and then I also I remember going on school trips. So with like a whole class of people going to KU, K-State and the University of Arkansas on campus tours. Oh. So I went on a lot. Yeah. Melissa, you did yeah. none? No, I, I mean, it's so funny to me now that I'm 
a high school teacher and I teach AP classes, you know, to seniors and I see them write these essays and I write them letters of recommendation and they just do all these things that I just straight up did not do. And it's so weird. I have no regrets as far as, you know, I fell in love with poetry at, at Pitt State and met my mentor and, you know, I met my husband basically because I was still around, you know, I had a really great experience. So it's not like I have regrets, but sometimes I'm like, I just, I just didn't really believe in myself back then. Or, or I was just like, I'll just go to the college that's conveniently in town. Or, or maybe I'm like underselling just, I mean, we were very poor. Like I just maybe was being realistic. Like there's, I am going to that school and I am living with my mother. That is just what's going to happen. But yeah, I never really pursued anything else. And uh, it kind of blows my mind just working every day with students who are doing nothing but pursuing this. I'm like, did I even know this was like something people did? I don't know. Anyway, but good for Drew. I'm glad that he's a junior doing this. I think that's really awesome. That's when you should start doing that stuff. I think They, they get that right. I think Parenthood, the show, like gets a lot right about timelines for teenagers which Mm -hmm. i feel like shows don't always so davis is just a little over an hour from berkeley Mm. so that would be i'm sure sarah would like drew being so close yeah no cornell for drew (laughs) i want to play one little line of drew's that made me laugh it's apropos of nothing i just thought it was funny wow this is really really hard this is a good way to get out anger it just makes me more angry though that i'm not strong (laughs) I love that. I thought that shows us how funny he is, which I don't think you get to see a lot of. And he's also funny in a way that I'm like, does he know he's funny? Does he mean to be? Or does it just come out? I mean, his sister and his mom are hilarious, you know, like, and, and, but they are both so like outspoken and loud. Yeah. He's got to have that in him, you know? <laughs> but anyway, I feel like it's always a quiet moment with Drew when we get a funny comment like that. Yeah. I loved that too. I thought it was great. Yeah. I feel bad that Drew doesn't seem to want Sarah around Amy and her family at all like I'm maybe being too I'm giving her like too much the benefit of the doubt but I felt like her bringing the phone I thought she really was just gonna go it didn't seem to me like a ploy it didn't invite herself on the trip but it seemed like Drew immediately was like get out of here and I thought (laughs) well she's not as honestly, as far as embarrassing parents go, she could be so much worse. She's not embarrassing at all. She's at so all. great. But what I were know. you going to say, Sarah? Oh, I was just going to say, I was relating to that so thoroughly because yeah. my son is going through a phase of, you know, wanting nothing to do with his parents and very, you know, individualistically. And, you know, I have to be very sensitive about his space and, you know, it's just such an interesting dynamic that I'm experiencing in my own life in a way. And I think it's just sort of some teenagers go through that, you know, where they just need to separate. But I feel for Sarah, because, you know, you as a, as a mom, of course, you want to be super involved, but you also have to respect their space. And it's, it's definitely not always easy. You know, you bring up such a good point. I think that Caleb and I are looking at this from a totally different angle. We're, we're like, 
your mom is Lauren Graham. She's a damn delight. You know, like, like <laughs> anyone would be so lucky, but it doesn't really matter how great your parents are. I think sometimes at that age, yeah, it is just a phase of life to push away. Although then that makes me wonder, is Amy not doing that with her parents you know, I, I can even see the appeal of Drew to like someone else's parents, because sometimes that's that's a thing. It's like anybody but your own parents. Your own parents are humiliating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone yeah. else's aren't. But like, why isn't Amy gravitating towards Sarah? Right. You know, why is Amy like? Yeah. I mean, she does have that. Well, line. you know, it's funny. Yeah. Just in my own my own experience, it's interesting because my daughter is very, very attached to us. You know, like the parent, you know, she's very I would imagine when she gets a boyfriend, eventually she probably would be like Amy. She probably would be bringing them here. Whereas my son is, is a lot more independent. And I don't know, I guess it's just individuals. Some are, some are like that and some aren't. I don't know if it's a male, female thing. I don't know if it's just people, but it's, it's so interesting navigating it all as it comes up and trying to figure out the best way to deal with it all. Cause you know, you never know. Yeah. yeah. I also wonder with Drew, if he finds comfort in the stability yeah. of oh, Amy's yeah. very Probably. traditional two-parent yeah. household. Yeah, I and I, and I wondered, like, maybe that's why he doesn't seem to want Sarah to intrude on that. But I thought, is it that he thinks she'll throw it off? Or is he ashamed of having a single parent? Or is he maybe ashamed that Sarah would see him enjoying another family so much? Would he feel mm. like he's betraying wow. her if she's around? And maybe, I mean, might be reading way too much into it. No, I, no, those are very insightful observations. I don't know. And also there's just so much like grass, greener. Like I remember, you know, again, living at home in college, I was... And I love my mom. I wasn't embarrassed of my mom, but I was embarrassed to be living at home. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting because a lot of my new college friends who lived in the dorms, they were desperate to come over to my house and have mom make dinner and eat mom's Uh, cookies and like have like a homey experience. And I was like, oh, my God, we need to be like out doing college things, (laughs) eating out. And, you know, and so like that's interesting, too. Sometimes it's just like whatever isn't yours seems better, you know? Yeah. 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 And I don't think that Drew is ashamed of Sarah because that word just feels really intense to me, but he might be, he might be a little embarrassed. I don't know if it's because she's single or if it would just, wow, that's interesting. The way that I made the distinction, I wasn't embarrassed of my mom, but I was embarrassed to be living at home. Like, I don't think he's embarrassed of Sarah, but he might be embarrassed that his family failed quote unquote, in a way that Amy's parents are like kissing where they first met. It's very over the top. Look at how happy we are. And that might be, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. His, I bet his emotions are very layered, you know, like it's probably not just one thing. It's probably a combination of a lot of those things you're saying, both of you. That's a hard age too. Like you're just trying to figure out who the hell you are and (laughs) yeah. Well, and I loved, loved the scene where Sarah talks about this with her dad. Oh my God, me too. And it dovetails <laughs> into his own storyline in this episode. What did you learn on your big trip? Well, I learned that Drew has become very interested in biology. 
um, he and Amy hold hands no matter what. He doesn't really want to tell me about his relationship or about his plans or really about much of anything. He's pulling away from me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they do, you know. That's what they do. <laughs> and then, um, the time is so fleeting. I mean, it just, it just goes by so quickly, Sarah. Stream. Are we allowed to eat in there? No, certainly. Can we order pizza from Rocco's? Rocco's. So much cheese. Yes. Oh, so much cheese. That was so much It's just beyond heartwarming. And if you'll allow me a moment, oh. I'm just blown away by Craig T. Nelson's acting in this scene. I mean, Lauren Graham is good, too. Oh, my God, yeah. so good. But as someone who's yeah. not an actor, but I'm frequently around actors, there are elements of acting that are impressive to me that I feel like I understand. Like, Lauren Graham, for instance, is so good, especially with dialogue and, like, comedic dialogue. She's got a unique delivery. She's got a distinctive voice. I understand that and why it's impressive to me. But Craig T. Nelson, in this scene, he's mostly just reacting in silence to her, either what she's saying about Drew or what she says on the phone. And yet I cannot look away. And the closer you look, I feel like the more you find just in his face. Like, I felt like I saw in his face his love for Drew and that I saw him remembering when he was Drew's age with so many plans ahead of him. I felt like I saw him remembering when Sarah was Drew's age and when she began to pull away. And I, I just see him wishing he could hold on to all of those memories Ugh. and knowing that he can't. And I don't know if that's what he was thinking <laughs> or what he was trying to convey or if that's what I was supposed to get, but I did get it. And I actually don't understand how someone does that. Like, how did he do that? He's yeah. just a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I just really love their dynamic, the two of them together. I think they have a really special thing. Um, it's just kind of magical when the two of them are together. And this was one of my favorite moments, I think, of the whole series. I maybe say that too often. I should actually make a list. But I, I loved it <laughs> so much. And, like, yeah, they each have these ways of delivering their lines. Like, the way that he was like, would you like... <laughs> to have dinner in the airstream, like very grand, you know, uh -huh. that was so sweet. And that she's like, oh, really? Like, like she's like reverting back to being a kid for a moment there. It just so beautiful. And I feel like, 
as a non-actor myself, I, I don't know. But it, it really does feel like they're maybe improving a bit, like which I know is a big thing on the show, and that they're just reacting to each other, and that it's maybe two people who just feel very comfortable with each other, you know, kind of letting go and being those characters. But <laughs> a real actor's going to listen to that and be like, you make it sound. Well, but I do think, I mean, <laughs> you know, I hear from improv actors, you know, one of the rules of improv is listen and respond. I mean, that it sounds ridiculously basic, but actually listening to what the person is saying and how you take that in and how you respond to it. And I remember we played a clip from Mae Whitman in an interview talking about that scene in the junkyard with Craig T. Nelson. And she said, Craig T. Nelson is just like this like walking raw nerve of a human being. He just radiates these very real emotions and feelings and she says when you're around that you just cry you can't help it like, why does everyone cry on the show she's like we don't mean to but, and i thought in that moment just watching him you know i feel like if i were in the scene with him i'm not an actor but if i actually was present and listening to what he said and responding to everything about him I'd probably give a halfway decent performance, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's just like, he's going to do a lot of that work for you if you can just, and it's vulnerable mm -hmm. to be around someone who's that much of an, a raw nerve. You want to kind of keep some walls up so that you're not feeling it too much. But if you let the walls down, then you'll just respond honestly, I would imagine. Anyway, yeah. but that's a, it's an aspect I do understand. If, like, if your scene partner's good, you're going to be better. And then if the scene partners are Craig T. Nelson and Lauren Graham, <laughs> wow, then you're both just going to make each other better. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that moment before her phone rings, you know, I said she's so good with dialogue. That's not to say she's an amazing in moments without speaking. Because before her phone rings, you can see her see something in Zeke that sparks her concern or her curiosity or something. Yeah. She knows something is going on that he's not telling her. Yeah, that's true. And then the phone rings and she gets distracted. But it's enough for her to say, I'm going to hang out with my dad. Yeah, I can tell he needs me. I don't know why, but he's priority right now. And I love that she was able to do that, especially after having just said, you know, Drew holds Amy's hand no matter what. I might as well be invisible. And that she is enough of an adult to realize this is not me being a bad girlfriend. It's just me having room for more than one person. And that maybe right when now my dad needs me. Yeah. And I'll call you later. Maybe someday yeah. Drew will make room for me when he is older yeah. and realizes, you know, like it's all like cyclical. And then of course Zeke responding to all of this because of his news, you know, like when he says things like it all goes by so fast. He might say that anyway, but boy, in this episode, of course, he's going to say that. Yeah. Well, I did a little research on AFib, which they described in the episode. But if left untreated, it can double your risk of heart-related death and is linked with a dramatically increased risk for stroke. And on average, it reduces life expectancy by two years. Wow. So even though they say it's treatable and everything, he's not... Because I, I know someone with AFib. She seemed so, you know, like nothing was happening. In my mind, AFib was like not a big deal because this person kept on living their life and I didn't recognize any difference. So I thought, is it really that serious? And yeah, so looking it up, 
to find it is serious. Wow. Yeah. That would scare me. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of beautiful scenes, I want to play this last one between Zeke and Camille. Look at Millie. A break. I know you've been worried. I, I got to tell you, you and me are together. It's so good. And then I go see this doctor. And it puts a grenade in my lap and says, here, there you go. There's the rest of your life. How about that? And it, it, well, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, yeah. But you're not alone in it. I'm here with you. I'm scared, too. But we have to keep it in perspective. Right? This isn't a death sentence. But the, the doctor said that this is quite common. Men your age, you're otherwise healthy, and it's treatable. None of us know what's going to happen to us or when. Yeah. Right. No, so I mean, that's why I got this. See, I'm thinking, let's get out, let's pack up and go. We go to Yosemite, we go to Yellowstone. We'll stop along the way, and you can paint every mission from here to Canada. You can do what you've always wanted. I, you get out there and just you know, I can't I'll... believe that you remember that that was so long ago yeah I wanted to paint every mission come on kid let's do it <laughs> let's just go do it it didn't make me cry when I watched it, but it was making me tear up just hearing it. I don't know why. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh. My only thing, I don't personally enjoy being called kid. I don't find it affectionate, <laughs> but it was, that's obviously something she loves. And it was very sweet. I don't even know why I said that. What's my problem? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's interesting, like what nicknames like couples have for each other that they, you know, and I think, I don't think that's the first time we've heard that and I think she loves it and maybe it is a reference to how long they've been together and they were kids <laughs> you know maybe there's something yeah. lovely yeah. about that yeah yeah they seem to be in a really healthy place yeah and it's just so satisfying this is the kind of relationship I would have expected from a tv show depicting grandparents all along so but so I think it's really interesting that because we've seen them have struggles mm -hmm. in previous seasons. This to me is so much more satisfying Yeah, that they are really communicating, I think, quite well. Yeah. Like earlier in the episode when she is, I found all these new recipes and here's all your pills and I've organized them this way and I've been looking things up. And he says, I need some time to wrap my head around this. Yeah, And she gives it to him. Yeah. And when he's ready, he tells her what he's feeling about all this. And then, like, she's so great. I mean, yeah. like, when she jumps in and says, it's scary. Because she sees he's having a hard time expressing it to her even then. She helps him without putting words in his mouth, really. I just I just loved it and thought, it's not been easy for you to get to this place. But Ugh. you did. And good for you. 
I also thought yeah. earlier in the episode when she does do all that for him, I'm like, this is just so Camille's love language. You know, it is acts of service. She does Crosby's laundry forever, you know, <laughs> and she like wants to do this. She just, she takes care of people to show she loves them. And it's really beautiful. And I think maybe Zeke's is quality time and that's why he gets the Airstream, you know, he yeah. just oh, wants to be with her. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good little storyline at, you know, like, like just what a realistic thing for an older couple to deal with, you know, not even a huge life altering diagnosis, but just like, okay, yeah, this is, this is getting real. Things are starting to change. We have to be careful. Just really that sense of your own mortality which clearly Zeke has in this episode when he talks to Sarah and everything it's just in everything he does in this episode it's just this idea that he is closer to the end by a lot than to the beginning and I think he's always known that on some level but like it's he's really faced with it yeah well like I said I feel like this episode was just stuffed with storylines but I liked all of the storylines yeah I did too and it does feel like momentum towards a season finale has really begun. Like I know last episode, it came right after Road Trip, which is sort of a unique break in a way from the storylines. And so it felt like it was restarting the engine a bit after that. Now it feels like, oh, things are humming right along and they are heading towards some climactic things. And jumping off of the title... It is what it is. It felt like accepting hard realities was definitely a theme for Hattie, for Zoe, and for Zeke, for sure. And then even though they do have some power to change them, I feel like it still popped up for Jasmine Mm -hmm. and maybe for Sarah and Drew in a way. I really love season three. I I really just keep seeing more and more episodes that make me realize it, it might be my favorite of the whole series. Like, it's just... I really think all the storylines, like you said, there are a lot of them. I, I thought all of them were interesting. There wasn't a single one where I was like, oh, back to this one. You know, <laughs> like I just, I I liked them all and they all feel very human. And, and, you know, especially in this episode, I feel like I really saw just about everyone's perspective, you know, with uh, Hattie and, and Adam and Christina. I was like, man, that's hard. I don't know what she mm-hmm. should do. And like Jasmine... You could be like, well, don't be jealous. He he deserves someone nice. But she wasn't like jealous in a way that was confrontational. She wasn't jealous like Crosby's jealous. You know, she kept it to herself. She wasn't yeah, trying to yeah. cause trouble. She was just trying to process her own emotions, which maybe even surprised her. I think every single storyline, you know, Sarah and Drew is another good example where I really did wish Drew would just be nicer to his mom. And I really felt bad for her. And I didn't think she did anything to deserve that. But I also didn't think Drew was like being a a jerk or a monster. I thought he was just being probably developmentally appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. It's funny. Exactly what Melissa said. It's true. It's like, I felt that way about this episode too, that Well, I could, everybody's point of view was so valid and understandable. And I felt like I could dive into every single storyline that was happening and feel related to it in some way, even though I'm not necessarily living the lives that each of them are living. It felt very 
it was just so beautifully written and relatable and gray area-ish in a way. Like, yeah. it's not like this is right and wrong or this is good and bad. It's like a lot of it is just complicated. Yeah. It's so satisfying to watch. That's exactly, yeah. That that's And that is my jam. I mean, when you get that, it's so nuanced and just that very compelling, you know, when it's not just... I never feel like I'm being preached at or something. I don't feel like there's some moral here I'm supposed to get really. It just just that we're all trying our best and we're going to see things differently yeah. and you know, it's just very life. Yeah, it's life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Loved it. All that and googie crap. <laughs> what more could you want? Oh. Oh, I wonder if I'll recognize Googie Gress next time. I'll be like, that's him. Uh, <laughs> Caleb's going to. Yeah, I'm going to look him up now. I totally have to do that. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I love it. Thank you guys so much for introducing me to this amazing series. Yay! I'm so excited to keep going with it. Oh, uh, uh, we're so happy for you and excited for you. And thank really you so wonderful. much for joining us on the podcast, oh. even when you didn't know the series that was very <laughs> kind of you and you were wonderful i've i've oh. loved our conversation it was so oh, good. i'm just happy sitting here and listening to the two of you so thank <laughs> you for having me uh, well you should all check us out on facebook twitter instagram we are parenthood pals everywhere and visit us at parenthoodpals.com to find all our info leave us a rating or review send us an email we love connecting with our listeners. It makes our whole day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again, Sarah. And thank you to everyone for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.